Welcome to the B2B Mix Show with Elena and Stacy. In each episode, we'll bring you ideas that you can implement in your sales and marketing strategy. We'll share what we know along with advice from industry experts who will join us on the show. Are you ready to mix it up? Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Stacy Jackson. And I'm Elena Jackson. We are the co-founders of Jackson Marketing. And in case you still haven't heard, we are also sisters. Stacy, what's the topic of today's episode? Today we are talking about empowering women in the workplace. And you know, this is an issue that everybody who's a woman, I guess, faces from time to time. There are obstacles out there, whether they're something we perceive is going to happen or an actual roadblock that gets thrown up in our way intentionally or not. And we get frustrated as women because we don't know how to proceed. And maybe there's even situations where we want to brag about something we're doing or, or take charge in a situation. But those ways we were raised about don't be bossy, don't brag, a lot of little girls hear those messages and it plays out in adulthood when you are assuming a leadership role and you're just not sure then how to be that leader because you don't want to be bossy. Yeah. And I think that's one of the key things that a lot of people kind of deal with is they, a lot of people have this misconception that women aren't, you know, talking about themselves, bragging on themselves because they aren't confident. And I don't think that that's it at all. And I'm excited about this topic because we're going to dig into some things with our guest who is a, I'm a big fan of hers. And she has some videos out there that share some information for women on how to empower yourselves. And so she's going to give us some great ideas on things that you can do when you're in different situations as a woman. So I'm, I'm very excited about this episode. And I think it's going to be really good. Yeah. And this episode is for women across the board whether you're in marketing sales or some other leadership position in business or even in your personal life it's really important to think about how you're gonna take a stand and shine and elena why don't you introduce the lady who's going to tell us all about it today i absolutely will because i'm a huge fan of hers Carol Mahoney is the founder and chief sales coach at Unbound Growth, a scientific sales development firm that eliminates the guesswork of how to develop and hire stellar sales teams using a proven data and science-based process. It is her personal mission to change the negative perception of sales from the individual salesperson to the executive and leaders. She has a degree in marketing, and that's where she started before switching over to the dark side. So believe it or not, she used to hate sales. However, she overcame her hatred of sales and is now a well-known thought leader in the sales industry and a big promoter for women in sales. And she has recently been named one of the top 15 sales influencers to follow. So if you haven't started following her yet, you better. So Carol, welcome to the B2B Mix Show. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here. And we're glad to have you. And what this show episode came about from was you and Elena recently participated in a conversation on LinkedIn about why don't women self-promote as much as men do. And there was great conversation from the different people 
participating. I think the issue of likability bias came up as part of the problem that women are told not to be bossy when they're little girls. So that has them grow up in a certain way of being afraid to express themselves. How can women embrace the title of bossiness? I know that you mentioned your friends and family call you bossy sometimes and you own it. How can women see that as a positive and use that to great effect in their careers? Yeah. And honestly, I didn't always own it. I think I felt the same way a lot of women do when they're being called bossy. Like this is a bad thing that they're, you know, I, for one, always thought it made me a bad person. Like if you call me bossy, then there's a negative connotation to that. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants that. And I started to get into a point in my life, and maybe it's just because I turned 40. And at that point, you just don't care anymore what anyone thinks. <laughs> and I think that's a big part of it, right? Is yeah. that you get to a point where you realize that it's not about what people think about you that matters. I forget who said the quote, but what other people think of you is really none of your business. Oh, that's and, a good one. And so I started to think of it as if I, if I think of it that way, and you call me bossy, I, I started to come up with the, a way to replace the belief that being bossy is bad. And I started by just saying, okay, so what? So what if I am bossy? Everybody has a superpower and mine is that I like to lead people and I have a, ideas that I am not afraid to share. And when I started taking on that so what mentality, it started to change what my perception of being bossy really was. And instead of trying to resist it, I actually embraced it and thought, okay, well, how can I make my bossiness a positive? How can I use it to help others? And also at the same time, it made me realize that being bossy can sometimes be in how we present ourselves and how we communicate. And so I started learning how to, instead of telling people what to do, I started asking them more questions to lead them and help guide them and ultimately help them to start thinking differently about something where instead of me trying to push them in a certain direction, it was more of me asking questions to see if I lay out these breadcrumbs, will they follow? And a lot of times that worked better. You know, one thing that when we were growing up, it was, you know, your parents would tell you, don't be so bossy, or you you had friends that were bossy and you didn't always want to hang out with them because they were bossy at times. And I think sometimes those kind of carry through as we become adults. And unfortunately, even as women, we sometimes cause this negative connotation of women that are being assertive and we're like, oh, she's so bossy. You know, how do we kind of get past that as women, not looking at other women that way and trying to kind of build other women up? I think that we have to Whenever you're trying to overcome any kind of a bias, first there comes that stage of awareness of, all right, I think that she's bossy. Why do I feel like she's bossy? What is it about that that is either a turnoff for me or do I wish I could be more like that? So start recognizing that awareness and when it's happening and then try to look at it kind of logically and examining what that brings up for you as the person. And then you might be able to start actually developing some empathy for that person who is bossy and getting to know them and understand why they're that way. And if you're the person being called bossy, again, looking at, okay, how can I be more inclusive and more collaborative with people while still being my bossy self? That was an interesting point that you made about how being bossy is, maybe it's an an issue that you have with yourself that maybe you want to be more like that person. And Mm -hmm. because especially today when 
you want to be heard and on social and in business, you got to be on social, depending on what your job is and being heard and that you maybe you're not promoting yourself like you should. And maybe you're putting that negative connotation towards those other people because that's what you want to be. I didn't even think about that until you just mentioned that. So that was a really interesting point. Yeah, I think we have a responsibility to look at what are our biases? Where are they coming from? You know, and maybe it was I, I was definitely called the you know, a bossy kid. I, it was just the, the way I was. And I've been told that before. And again, it's a, it's a, you got to examine where it comes from for you. And also I think being that collaborative kind of a person too. Mm -hmm. And another thing that Lori Richardson had shared a link to 50 ways to fight bias. It has some activities that you can go through and it had some of the different biases that, that people face in the workplace. And one of the stats that they mentioned when it came to performance bias was that when you replace a woman's name with a man's name on a resume, it improved the odds of getting hired by more than 60%. Now, I always knew that that was probably a, a case that was happening, but 60%, I didn't think it was that high. And that was shocking yeah. to me today. And when it comes to those performance biases, why do you think most people kind of tend to underestimate women's performance and overestimate the men's. So I don't know exactly what the reason is. I think there's a lot of variables at place, but I will share with you what I have experienced or heard myself in hiring processes. There's the, well, I, I don't know how to say this politically correctly, so I'm going to just try to say it nicely. <laughs> Somebody must have helped her get there. Mm. One thing that I I hear, or, you know, I also hear, well, if, if she wasn't a woman, then she probably wouldn't have gotten that position because they're trying to be diverse and, and inclusion and no, and everybody's all about hiring women now. And so I think that sometimes just any minority or any gender, they tend to look at any achievements that are made as, well, they must have had help. Right. So do you think that causes women to have to accomplish more just to get noticed? I think it does. I, I know that from my own experience, it certainly does. And I have a somewhat controversial, maybe controversial attitude towards that, which I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Because if you also look at the studies that show that women are more likely to only apply for a job when they have a higher percentage of the competencies there, I think that is our superpower is that we are able to do more and we can make the world a better place because of that. So the fact that we have to accomplish more to get noticed makes us better. Regarding the study that you mentioned, Elena, and if this is too charged of a question, we don't have to go over it, but what do you think the Me Too movement has also played a role in the hiring issue? Or was this study done before that? Do you know? I'm not sure if it was done before or after. I don't think that we can say it hasn't had an impact. It has, it's had an impact in so mm -hmm. many ways, just even how men and women communicate now in the workplace. I think it's changed even, even other women's perception. I think of other women, I, don't, I think it's definitely had an impact. What that exactly is, I'll, I will leave to the researchers to discover, but just in the conversations I hear that men have amongst each other, 
I, I sometimes men tend to say things in front of me that they forget that I'm a woman sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the tomboy. I don't know. But, and I've heard them say, well, well, be careful how you look at so-and-so or be careful how you say that to so-and-so. And, you know, you don't want to become another me tooer. And so they're very, I don't know if scared is the right word or nervous or unsure of how to act around women because they don't want to ever be in any way offensive or, you know, sexually mm -hmm. harassed in some way, just they don't know. Mm -hmm. So I think it definitely has probably had an impact. And do you think it, I definitely think since the Me Too movement, more men are talking about it. One thing that I've noticed that's this interesting, not, not with all men that talk about it, but with some where they want to be, I don't know what the word, my, the word is gone from me, but they want to kind of help be a champ, promote yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, a champion. Yeah. And, yeah. But but sometimes when they're being that champion on social for everyone to see versus what actually happens in meetings with those people is, is not always kind of the same thing that's going on. Do you see that? And do you think that that is an issue that people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon just to get noticed, but they're not actually working to make it change? I think you have to think and consider of there probably are those that will jump on the bandwagon because they want to be seen as, you know, it's like whenever someone is talking about racial issues, you know, I, I'm not a racist. I have a best friend who's who's this particular race. Mm -hmm. But then when they actually, you know, are thinking and making their decisions and behind closed doors, it can be different. It also, I think one of the things that comes into play is what's on the line for them. They Do they feel like if they stand up for a woman that that's going to somehow cast them in a different light or put their, you know, political mojo at risk for something and they're not willing necessarily to put their necks out? It might also be that they just don't know how to do that. They don't know what the rules are. They don't know when to. They don't know if what's the right thing to do or to say. Hey, folks, let's take a break to hear about today's sponsor. And we are back. When women are in meetings with men, maybe I've had this happen to me, and I, just, I know Elena has, and you probably have too. You might make a suggestion that gets overlooked or denied, and maybe it's because of the way I present it, or it's just the way the room is laid out with the personalities there, but it gets overlooked. So, But a man might bring up that same suggestion a little bit later, and it's like, whoo, he discovered the cure to cancer or something. What what should women do in these situations? How do you take back ownership of the idea? Or is there a graceful or a tactful way to do that? Well, I will share with you how I did it the last time I had to. And I was working at a startup and they were using Salesforce. It, this was like Salesforce 2.0. So it was several, several years ago. And they just started coming out with the service side of or the support and service side of, of Salesforce. And it was a tech company that I worked in. I was on the job for maybe two or three months. We were having our, our semi-weekly company meeting. And they were trying to decide what system to use for support for the technology. And I, my job, one of the reasons that they hired me was to investigate, understand everything about Salesforce so that I could figure out ways that it could help the company to grow. This was my like this was my number one task. And so I suggested, why don't we look at the support side of Salesforce? That way our sales team can be in the loop as far as what's happening in support so that they never reach out to someone who's not happy or they at least know what's going on with the account before they do reach out. 
And it was like that much dead silence. And then the head of support said, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. And I said, okay. And at the time I just let it go. And about maybe I want to say four months later, the, another gentleman brought the idea up who was, I can't remember exactly what his role was, but he was someone relatively new to the company. And he suggested, hey, why don't we look into using Salesforce for support? And all of a sudden it became a great idea. <laughs> and my first reaction was I was sitting there and I was, I could just feel my temperature rising. <laughs> I could feel my heartbeat going up. And I was. It's like on the I cartoons was, where the steam oh, starts right. coming out. <laughs> exactly. My face is turning red. There's steam coming out of my ears. I can physically feel feel it coming out of my ears. And I had to get up and go into the restroom and just like catch my breath because I did not want to react to it emotionally. And I went to the bathroom and I came back into the meeting and they were still discussing it. And at the end of them discussing it, I, I took a beat and I, I, I don't know where the inspiration came from, but what I said was this. I'm going to just say it was Charlie. I, was, I said, Charlie, I am so glad that you heard when I suggested that a couple of weeks ago and ran with the idea please let me know how I can help you. I've done some initial research into that, that I'd happy be happy to share my notes with you. And it changed the dynamic of the conversation because then it wasn't me trying to defend her. That was my idea. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I, again, I go back to seeking a way to be collaborative because I, as I was taking my breath, the thought was, if I react the wrong way, I'm going to be cut out of the project. Yeah. And this is, this is like my baby kind of thing. Like this is what I was hired to do. So how can I make it collaborative and maybe not be like the one that's in charge of it, but at least be involved in it and actually ended up being a really good thing. So I think that the, the when those things happen, our first reaction is to want to get defensive. Mm-hmm. And if we can overcome that initial reaction and look at it from Okay, so how can I keep myself involved and included in this and through that process still start to establish my thought leadership within the company and not let my ego and emotions take over? It's hard to mm-hmm. do. And sometimes you go away and take a breath and come back. And it's probably not going to be the only time it ever happens to you. And so, you know, that's how I handled it. I think depending on you and your personality and your style and obviously the culture and company that you're in, um, you find a way to acknowledge it openly and be collaborative about it because then it's not like you trying to fight for something. It's you trying to help create something. And that's a good idea. And and it kind of goes to the concept of servant leadership, which in good to great, uh, Jim Collins wrote about level five leaders, which are kind of like servant leaders really having the best Mm -hmm. success. So taking that approach to be more collaborative to gain your idea back, or at least tie your yourself back to that idea. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think just the stepping away for a minute is, is a good idea because in those situations, you kind of just want to slap somebody across <laughs> the face and say, look, did I not just give you that same idea? And just to take that higher road about, you know, you mention it and you keep going. I think that's a really good idea. And that's something that I know that Stacey and I both are cognizant about, like, you not not even just for women, but if a, if a man makes a suggestion mm-hmm. and then it's kind of overlooked and then another guy makes the suggestion and it's the same one, you know, we try, oh, yeah, well, so kind of like what so-and-so mentioned and 
try to remind them that, yeah, that idea did come from someone else first. We always try to make sure we're paying attention to where we can support other people and their suggestions so that they get recognition. Yeah. I think one other thing that I would add to this is that in this same company, I also I, I also had, a, I, I guess you could call it a champion, but he was also a mentor in ways. And he was very good about helping me have specific feedback and how to present information so that it gets heard. And I've started learning new ways in order to become kind of collaborative and being able to, to work in that way so that the ideas did get heard. And because I've heard that before, and there's been, you know, the trolls on LinkedIn of like, oh, well, if nobody's listening to you, it's because you're not presenting yourself right. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we tend to be defensive, but like, no, it's not me. But always being willing to find that champion and mentor that will then help you so that when you do present your ideas, that they are heard. Because I think sometimes, and this goes into maybe the way that we are socially sort of wired is that we tend to sometimes present our ideas in not the most confident way. Like, well, maybe we could do it this way. And we kind of have this question in our voice instead of having the confidence that, yes, this is something that I believe in. And I'm okay with if somebody doesn't agree with me and being able to have that conversation. I think that also does help make a difference. I'm definitely guilty of of that, trying to placate and <laughs> Well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody deals with that at some point. Right. And then I think the other part of it, and this was something I learned also from this experience of the idea of like, you know, I suggested and someone else thought of it is to also remember why you're in the room. Like, I think sometimes we tend to think, oh, I'm just so glad to be at the table. But there's a reason they asked you to be there. And so not being afraid of saying, I'm Carolyn, I'm here because it's my number one priority to find ways to leverage this technology to help the company grow. And here's some of the ideas that I have around that. So that it reminds everybody else in the room also of why you're there, but also reminds yourself of why you're there. And you did a a video that was really good about this topic, which I'll make sure to share in the um, notes so that people can see that video as well, because it was really good. It gave some good ideas on how to deal with these situations. Another, another thing that, women deal with is the affinity bias. So when people gravitate towards people that are are more like themselves. So when the majority of leadership and companies are men, they're going to gravitate towards more men that are like themselves. So Mm -hmm. what, what should women be doing in those situations to kind of get noticed and gain the attention to be considered for those promotions? So I think there's first is that finding others that are also be advocates for you so that it's not just you promoting yourself, but that others are saying, you know, you should really see what Elena is doing over here. I think that this is going to be a great thing. And so finding those people that will do that for you. And then, you know, as far as people liking and gravitating towards other people like themselves, just because you're a woman and just because your boss may be a man, that doesn't mean that you don't have anything in common. It doesn't mean that you have to like golf, but if you do, then that's something that you have in common. It doesn't mean that you have to like football, but if you're like me, you like football. But there's also other things that you have in common, probably either geographically where you grew up or something. And so, you know, having those conversations and developing those relationships with those people isn't outside the realm of possibilities. You just have to be open and curious about what what other ways might we be in common? Maybe 
you know, it's even funny. Like sometimes I will talk with other men. I'm like, you're just like my husband. <laughs> he thinks the same way that you do. And we get along great. And so sometimes that's enough to start building that rapport and relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Year, a few years back, I worked for a company and I was an account manager and pretty much all of the account managers were women. And so when our clients would come in, you know, sometimes they would want to go out and play golf. A lot of the men wanted to play golf when they came to Florida. Mm -hmm. And the account managers a lot of times got pushed off to the side because the executives wanted to go and play with them. But, you know, we're the ones that had that relationship. So they, the women that did play golf really had to fight and push for them to be able to get out on the golf course with them. And one of the ways they did that was our manager was a man and they had him kind of push some of that and fight for it. And they eventually started getting to go and play golf with their clients. And so they had that person that was working on their side to help them get to that point. And I think that's, that's a big thing and key. If you find yourself in those situations to find somebody that can go out there and champion for you. Yeah. And I think another thing that I've seen is that, and I've done myself is that we tend to default to waiting to be asked. And mm -hmm. I've come to a place in my life where I'm not going to wait to be asked anymore. I'm going to do the asking. And so finding that sales manager, that'll be your champion. And if you, if you don't have that champion in your organization is, you know, band together the, the other women in your organization and say, we want to be a part of this as well and have fun with it. Like I can totally see myself in that situation and being like, oh, so you were afraid we're going to beat you? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, if it's we're, if, we're, if we're talking with people who are competitive, I also have a very big competitive streak as well. So uh, like there's another thing that we have in common. So own that. And another thing that Alice, Hy I don't know if you watched the TEDx show that Alice Hyman shared with I'm going to mess up his name. So I'm so sorry if I say this name wrong, but Dr. Thomas Chamorro. Pray music. Pretty close. I'm not sure if I said that right. <laughs> I, I was actually, I saw him do a TEDx in Cambridge on his talk. And I think, what was the book that he wrote about why do so many men become incompetent leaders or something? I have it on my head. Yeah, that was actually what he was talking about that yeah. a lot of companies promote based on confidence versus competence. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of women don't get promoted. And, you know, so is it that we, most leaders are put in these leadership positions because of that. Do you think it's a lot of it is that confidence versus competent situation? Unfortunately, I do see that a lot. And it's because the hiring criteria that they're using isn't necessarily objective or provable. And so because of that, they default to their biases. And so if someone seems or appears or comes off as more confident, you're going to feel more confident that they're going to do well in the role. So I do see that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And what, as far as like, so how do we deal with those particular things? I think that as women, we have to embrace our accomplishments. I believe that we have to find those that are going to help us promote ourselves. And sometimes it's even the own thoughts and things that we say to ourselves that cause us to not come off as being confident, even though we are very confident and we should be confident in those skills. So mm -hmm. I think there's a number of things that we can do. And one of those being be becoming better at promoting ourselves. Do you think that one of the things that he said is that we need to stop 
kind of promoting or expecting women to act like men and get on the men's level. And we need to kind of take those standards higher when it comes to the leadership or at least for when we're hiring men for those leadership positions. Do you think that that's something that a lot of people expect women to kind of come down to a different level or act differently just to get those jobs? I think that women feel like they sh- they have to, um, whether that's a perception that is real or in their own minds perceived. And and I've seen some women try to do that. And it, the only thing I can say is it just doesn't come off as authentic. And mm-hmm. that I think goes even more into your to your detriment. So I don't think that we need to act and be more like men. I agree with what uh, Dr. Thomas says in his talk is that we need to apply the same standard that we apply to women and apply them to men. And rather than trying to get women to, I don't want to say lower themselves to that standard, but that's essentially what he says. So I will say that. (laughs) Um, and, And I think at the same time, though, we also have to look at our hiring practices and how are we using or how are we combating our own biases in that process? And, you know, if you look at the research that talks about what happens with companies when women are in leadership positions, I know leanin.org has a lot of those statistics there. It just makes bottom line sense to have the most competent person there. And so I think that we are going to start to see a shift in how people think about their hiring as being a much more objective, competency-based, measurable, rather than you know, here's someone who I like, who I, you know, feel confident, you know, they're a big ticket person. And so we're going to, we're going to hire them because we know that they're going to get it done somehow, maybe, hopefully. So Carol, you've given us a lot of great information today and advice. Is there anything else you'd like to share as far as tips that both men and women need to remember when it comes to empowering women in the workplace? I'll start with men. And I think for men, if you are someone who does want to be that champion of women and you're not sure how to start, I think the simple and easiest place is to ask, how can I support you? And if you are in a meeting with a woman and she shares an idea of supporting that, and if no one else is hearing it, saying, Elena has a great idea. Did you hear what that might impact of that might be? And for women, I think that, you know, you mentioned the video that you'll share with everyone, but I think it comes down to examining your own belief system and how that either serves you or doesn't serve you. And what are the things that trigger that and try to apply some logic to take the emotion out of situations and to build yourself up, write down the things that you've accomplished and what it took for you to get there. Because sometimes we tend to, well, I just did this and, you know, I did that, but, you know, it was really so-and-so that did that and really take ownership of the things that you've accomplished to build that confidence in your own competencies. That's a great idea because we we often forget what it actually took to get to where we are sometimes. And when you look back, you're like, man, I did a lot. That was awesome. Yeah. 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 That's a great idea. So we have one last question for you, and it's a just for fun question. Okay. So if you weren't busy being the chief sales coach at Unbound Growth, what would your dream job be? My dream job would probably be in a greenhouse somewhere with my hands in the dirt, growing some, you know, incredible plants and flowers and tomatoes and herbal medicines that I could just be digging in the garden every single day and helping people with whatever I grow. Oh, that's nice. That is definitely not mine, but I commend <laughs> you for your, I, I am not a yard person. <laughs> I am a- Our grandmother was, though. She was always out in the yard working. 
It is, there's so many therapeutic benefits to it, but I also believe too that what we put into our bodies is, our food is our medicine and that we can have the ability to heal, heal ourselves and that we need to be closer to nature. So if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now and you know working with salespeople and leaders every day to really get some sales performance improvement going on, it would be helping people and digging in the dirt and helping their physical bodies. So I mean, for me, it's like, it's all about, it comes down to how you're able to give back to the world and make it a better place. And if I think, mm-hmm. I think of gardening as my way of leaving it in a better place than I found it. Oh, that's a good way to put it. I, I like that. I think it's sad that more people don't get to garden. I know growing up, some of my favorite memories are working in the garden with my great grandparents or my grandparents shucking corn, shelling beans. It, it was just a wonderful time to spend with people. And not and nowadays not have a phone in front of Everybody's your face on the phone yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember having my teenage sons help me in the garden, and whenever they were you know angry or mad about something, I'm like, all right, let's go in the garden and start you know hacking weeds and pulling things and taking out all of our aggressions into the dirt. And it's interesting because not only do you get that physical exercise, there's actually some science that shows that bioorganisms that are released when you're working with soil help to fight depression and anxiety. So there's all these other benefits to it. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I said, it's not one of my favorite things to do, but I know that when I do pull weeds at once you start getting into it, it, it is somewhat relaxing in a way. <laughs> it's making order out of We'll admit that. <laughs> yeah, I, that's kind of how I think of sales coaching and gardening. The thing that they have in common for me is making order out of chaos. And oh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> that's, that's my connection between the two. Well, Carol, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights on how to battle the bias of women in sales marketing face. If our audience would like to get in touch with you or follow you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can definitely go to the website at unboundgrowth.com. If you go to LinkedIn and search for me, Carol with an E at the end, then you probably will find me there and you can get in touch with me through the website. You can schedule a call there or, you know, direct message me on LinkedIn as well. And we'll also have all of her contact information in the show notes for you. And if you want to get in touch with me or Stacy, you can reach us on social. On Twitter, you can find Stacy at Stacy underscore Jax. That's S-T-A-C-Y underscore J-A-X. And you can find me at Elena underscore Jax. That's A-L-A-N-N-A underscore J-A-X. And if you're not a Twitter fan, you can always look us up on LinkedIn. And finally, don't forget, you can also leave a voicemail on the Anchor mobile app or on our anchor.fm show page. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next week. The B2B Mix Show is hosted by Stacy Jackson and Elena Jackson of, you guessed it, Jackson Marketing. If you need help with your B2B inbound marketing efforts, visit us at jacksonmarketingservices.com.